Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Pastor Rob Ginter and Farmdale Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at farmdalebaptist.com. It's good to be with you all. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Acts. Chapter 12 is where we are this morning. Acts chapter 12. So I've been in some interesting places in my life and in some crazy church services. I don't know about you. But I was in the middle of nowhere at this service, and the preacher uh, was preaching a sermon on missions. So at the end of the week, at the end of the service, they went around and passed out cards to who wanted to go on the mission field. Well, I mean, I was like leaned over the the the, the pew at that point. I mean, he could have sold me a car. He could have you know done whatever. So I fill out the card and. Uh, and this emotional excitement, and then I, then I get a phone call after I'd forgotten about all that about two, three weeks later. And in this phone call, this, this gentleman um, asked me if I wanted to go on to the, to the mission field. And I was a, a teenager at the time, so uh, I was like, I don't, I don't know if that would work so good. I don't know how, how that would work. So I told him no. And he laid a guilt trip on me that I have, that's been rivaled by a few family members uh, in my entire life, Uh, but it was thick, you know what I mean? Like you couldn't cut it with a knife. It was thick. And in this guilt trip, he questioned my Christianity. And I was fighting the the teenage battle um, in a new Christian, and I was like, no, I'm pretty sure I am, you know, like, pretty sure that's not true, and he's like, well, you, why, you don't want to go on the mission field, so you, you know, why, you can't, how can you be a real Christ, Christian, you know, like, it was thick, so when I ask you what part, not if, right, but what part are you playing in Jesus's mission to get the gospel to the nations, asking you what part, and if you struggle with that um, question, I'm not questioning your Christianity. I'm not. That is not the requirement for becoming a Christian or being a Christian. However, if we go through 12 chapters of the book of Acts, in which that we see the early church on Jesus' mission, and we don't feel a concern to be making changes in our life and in our church for the spread of the gospel. I'm not questioning our Christianity necessarily, but I am questioning our obedience. Because the whole premise of this book is that Jesus' mission continues through His church. And that is to be a global mission. That is to be a global mission. And the point that we see in this passage is that God sets apart His people for the spread of the gospel where it has not reached. That's what He does. And it answers the question is, how does God carry out His work among the nations? The answer, He sets apart His people for the spread of the gospel where it has not gone. That's exactly what He does. So, if you open your Bibles to chapter 12 and 13, that's where we'll be camped out today. The account shifts back to Barnabas and Saul as they return to Antioch. 
and they take the offerings to Jerusalem. They bring Barnabas' cousin, John Mark, with them. So if you survey the names of the first verse of chapter 13, you see uh, the leadership, the elders, if you will, at Antioch, the Antiochian elders. And what do you notice about this list is that this is a biblical model of a church being led by multiple elders. Multiple elders. Not only are they multi-elder, they're multi-ethnic at this point. So what do we see in the Antiochian church? A diversity of leadership, a plurality of leadership. That means that they, don't, they are like we are here. They're, this church is not led by a single pastor. At this juncture, we have a couple of those gentlemen. So therefore, there is a plurality of elders here in the Antiochian church, and there is a diversity of elders in the Antiochian church. And why might we want pastors in this church that don't look like me? Easy, you're ugly. Like, but why, why do we want pastors in this church that don't have the same giftings that I do? Because I need, I, I don't have that many, right? I don't have that many. Like, why do they not look like me? Ugly, a sin. You know, why, don't, why don't they want to be like me? Because I can't do all of the things necessary to lead a church. It was not meant to be led by one individual ever, ever, never, ever. So the Antiochian church here is led by a multi-elder, multi-ethnic, diverse group of people. So if you survey that list of names, just look down at it. Barnabas, uh, he's a Jew from the island of Cyprus. Really encouraging guy. His name's Joseph. They gave him a nickname that was like son of encouragement. That's what that guy is. He's a Jew from Cyprus, Simeon, who is called Niger, most likely from Africa. Lucia is from modern-day Libya in North Africa. Menean is upper class. Rubs elbows with Herod. And Saul is highly educated. The leaders of Antioch were all over the map in geography, personality, gifting, and influence. And this is what our church should aspire to as well. So this is the basis for this mission, is a plurality of elders, a plurality of gifts, a plurality of people. And the pattern is, these are the ingredients to the sending of missions and the effectiveness of the church. Right? These are the ingredients for a more effective church. The ingredients and the pattern right there in that verse. It's the pattern and the ingredients because the church attracted all kinds of people, welcomed all kinds of people, and through this group, group they began to send the first intentional missionaries in the Bible, in the New Testament. I say that because there's Jonah. Like In the New Testament, these are the first intentional missionaries. You go, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? I mean when Saul's ravaging the church and there's basically a Christian serial killer on the loose and you have to run for your life from your town, you're a missionary whether you like it or not because you just got kicked out of town because they were going to kill you if you stayed, so you kind of had to go. But here in the book of Acts, we see them going on purpose. Like they're saying, here we are, and there's the gospel that's got to get out there. So how do we get from here to out there? Let's do this thing intentionally and on purpose, now that we're kind of not running for our lives. So that's what they do. From stability, diversity, plurality, they intentionally go on mission. That's what they do. It's the foundational ingredients of the church foundational to the passage is that in order to reach the nations with the good news that Jesus died on the cross to save sinners, 
God raises up his people from his church. So, what, what are the logistics of the supply line between the church and the nations? I'm glad you're asking. Here's what we see in this passage that he sends missionaries. Look at how we should respond to this missionary calling in verse 2. So while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So because God sends missionaries, we should listen to his call, for his call. The missionary call was born out of a worshiping people. Worshiping people. It makes sense, wouldn't it? You worship God here, and you realize that there are people over there or across town or in another nation, and they do not worship God. So therefore, you see him as all worthy of all your worship and all your focus and all your time and all your strength and all your... <laughs> love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they don't. And you know what? That's a problem. That's a problem. It's a problem for them. We look out at a world at a God who deserves to be worshipped and people not doing that. And we have a problem with that. Famous quote, John Piper, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, says, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. So they were not only worshiping God, but fasting. That's, that's not opposed to slowing, if you're curious, right? It's not a discipline normally uh, famous in our churches, but it's a general sense in which that you go without something like food in order to focus your prayer to set aside your desire for food, and you're seeking God for a specific purpose. They were in their local church, worshiping, seeking intensely God in prayer, that is the kind of person that the Holy Spirit speaks to. That's the kind of person who is worshiping God, setting aside the desire for other things, intense focus, and that is the person that the Holy Spirit often speaks to the loudest. And we don't know what it was like for the Holy Spirit to go, set apart fallen Barnabas. Like we, we, we don't know what that sounded like. What, what that, what it, he said it. Well, what does that even mean? I, I don't know. I don't know. But he said, set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. So here's what we can gather as a sense about what this missionary call is kind of like. Uh, well, it might sound simple here, but the Holy Spirit sends missionaries. The Holy Spirit sends missionaries. So the Spirit of God sets apart Christians for himself to not use for their glory, for their purposes, but his, to do the work for which he has called them few things we need to note as you look at this passage. The Holy Spirit does not call everyone to be a foreign missionary. He doesn't call everyone. So we're, some of y'all are breathing easy. But here's why you ought to hold your breath. He doesn't not call anybody. Right? He's not calling everybody. That doesn't mean he's not calling somebody. And it doesn't mean he's not calling somebody in this room to get out of this room for the sake of the spread of the gospel among the nations, both short-term, long-term, vocationally, and everything in between. So he doesn't call everybody, but he doesn't not call everybody, if you think about it like that for a second. There's these five elders who could have chosen, likely good-sized church, 
And he picked two at this point. This makes sense. Some of us need to stay to support the missions. Some of us need to go on missions. This is uh, Paul Washer paraphrasing another quote that some of you all are familiar with. He says, missions is very simple. There are only two ministries in missions. You're either called to go down into the well or you're called to hold the rope for those that go down. Either way, there should be scars on your hands. There should be scars on your hands. And he adds that last sentence in that quote there because there is sacrifice involved in this. No doubt some of us are being called to go to a place that Christ has not been preached, to go down in the well. And if this is you, your heart breaks for the three billion people in the world with little knowledge or access to the gospel. As one uh, guy had put it, a missionary is someone who never gets used to the sound of pagan footsteps on their way to a Christless eternity. They don't, they don't get used to it. They never get used to the fact that there are people out there with no access to the gospel, and the only obstacle between them and hell is an unknown amount of minutes and breaths that they take. They never get used to that, and they're not okay with that. But there are people out there, like there are here, right? I'm not saying those people are, are, are not here. I'm saying that there is a gospel witness in this community. I'm saying that there is a place, several places in this world with no gospel witness and an undetermined amount of time between them and eternal ruin forever in hell. That's what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit works in the lives of individuals to remedy that problem. He does. You find lostness unacceptable, and you know that Jesus has commanded you to go, so you cannot imagine yourself staying. But you notice the elders at uh, Antioch, they had to sacrifice. You don't think this was a sacrifice for the church at Antioch to send Paul and Barnabas? No. That, yes, absolutely it was. They sent their greatest theologian and, and a guy that was really encouraging, right? You know, have you, how many encouraging people have you found in your life that, that are so encouraging that they have that nickname? That they're like, hey, we got a guy that's keeping our theology sound and another guy that makes us want to keep going. You know how difficult that would be to lose from a church? Somebody who, who, who keeps us doctrinally pure and somebody else who makes us want to keep going? When things get hard? Oh, priceless, irreplaceable. They go down into the well in the church at Antioch. They hold the rope. And they have the scars on their hands. So it might not sound like rocket surgery, but the... Holy Spirit sends missionaries, and where do those missionaries come from? They come from the church. They come from the church. Notice verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So the missionaries are sent by the Spirit from the church. This is important. I have had people 
that came to me with broken hearts for the three billion people who have no access to the gospel in this world. And they said they were going as a missionary to remedy that. And I asked them this question. What does your church think about that? What is, what's the church? What relationship do you have to the church? And I've been there, the pastor of, of an individual like that, and I was like, I don't really have you here enough to figure out if that's really what God's calling you to do. You see, when these missionaries go, they don't bypass the church, its authority. They go through the church. Missionaries come from the church. They don't go around. Look at, the, look at those lazy people. I'm gone without them, without their blessing, without their input into my life, without their mentorship, without their support. I'm gone without them. That's not biblical. I'm going through them. I'm, getting, I'm going through them. That's what happens. So Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas, were called by the Spirit, affirmed and sent by their local church. Here's the truth that we need to be reminded of. You all know it, but poor church members make poor missionaries. Garbage church members do not make kings on the mission field. It doesn't work like that. If you're a terrible church member, you're not going to be winning souls for Christ abroad if you can't serve your church locally. It just doesn't work like that. That's not how the world works. You will be there, a magnified version of what you already are here. It's not going to change you to something else. It'll just magnify what you are. It's like money. It just magnifies what you already are. Missions is the same. So when... Verse 3 says, after more fasting and prayer, they laid their hands on them. So to lay their hands on them means that they identified with them. Saul and Barnabas were an extension of this Antiochian church. It shows they're confirming what the Holy Spirit said to them. That is what we see here in this passage. And that is what God could be doing to an individual, multiple individuals in this room. So don't get comfortable in your pews. You might need to leave them. You might. You might not. Just hold on. <laughs> so when Adoniram Judson graduated from college in seminary, he uh, received a call from an upscale church in Boston. And his mom and sister rejoiced that, that he could do what God called him to do close to home. They were tickled to death of this. But here's what he said. Here's what he said. He said, my work is not here. God is calling me beyond the seas. To stay here, even to serve God in his ministry, I feel like would be only partial obedience. I could not be happy in that. He left his mother and sister to follow Jesus. And Judson's church in Burma had 50,000 converts eventually. His influence was felt from around the world. Around the world. So for some of us to ignore this call to serve the Lord... In the missions context, to serve him only right here would be partial obedience. And as I'm trying my best with blood, sweat, and tears and everything in between to teach my kids, partial obedience is no obedience at all. It's not really obedience at all. 
So the Holy Spirit may be setting you apart right now. He might. To share Christ in places that he has not been shared, the gospel in places that it has not gone, and to stay would be to disobey. To stay would be to disobey. Now, in this passage and in this building, there are only two categories. Those that go and those that send. As one pastor put it, you either go, send, or disobey. Go, send, or disobey. There is not an alternative category in which that you can be apathetic that this thing is going on right now. Right? That there are gospel needs in the world and, and a gospel witness and you're on the sidelines. That's, that's not okay. It's not. So, we either go, send, or disobey. Three billion people in the world with little or no knowledge or access to the gospel, and God will use and does use our obedience. That's His plan. It's biblical and God-honoring. So, it's biblical and God-honoring for you to ask the Lord if He might be calling you to go, or what role you might be having in sending because God sends missionaries, we should listen to His call and we should carry out His mission. That's what we should do. We should carry out His mission. So Barnabas and Saul sent out by the Holy Spirit, affirmed by the church, headed down to Cyprus. They stop at the port of Salamis. That's where Salami comes from. Uh, with John Mark. I made that up. I made that up. Do not take that. <laughs> I don't know if Salamis is the place where they created Salami or not. Don't, don't ask me. But they go there with John Mark. Verse 6 says they went through the whole island. And you know what is to note here? Nothing. Nothing at all. They left Salamis, which is the largest city on the island. They went to Cyprus preaching in the synagogue of the Jews. And there is no record of anyone turning to Jesus. So if this is the mission, right? If, if God sets apart individuals from the church by the Holy Spirit to go and we send, then how do we know, like, what should we be aiming for? World domination? What do we do? What are we doing this weekend, Pinky? The same thing that we do every weekend. Try to take over the world. Like, what, what is the goal of missions? Like, how do we know that we've done what we're supposed to be doing? Glad you asked. Well, the success of our mission is defined not by human response. Right? So they go through Cyprus, nothing. Were they still obedient? Yeah. Yeah. You share the gospel to your neighbor. Nothing. Were you obedient? I mean, they didn't become a Christian. They didn't, they didn't turn and believe. Were you obedient? Yes. Stats, my friends, are not a gauge of our success. They're not. Stats is not where it's at. It's not. So our success is defined not by human response, or lack of opposition. So verse 4, Luke reiterates that the Holy Spirit is the one who sent them. So far preaching 90 miles wide on this island, nothing happens. And we get to verse 6, and they came upon a magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And, and when you read magician, don't think David Copperfield or David Blaine or anybody like that. We're talking about like a cult leader. So think more like Joseph Smith. So he's affiliated with Sergius Paulus, the highest-ranking official in Cyprus, and who Luke tells us summoned Barnabas and Saul, seeking to hear the word of God. Pick up reading in verse 8. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, if you're keeping score, Elymas is Bar-Jesus. 
he, who opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So Elymas is Greek for the magician. Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus or son of salvation. That's who this guy is. He knows that if this leader, Sergius Paulus, turns to Christ, that he will turn away from him. So he's trying to get this guy in his cult. And if he becomes a Christian, that means his cult is leaking people. And cult leaders hate leaking numbers. They hate it. So we need to look at this and see what what is he trying to do. He's being opposed here. But his mission, Paul and Barnabas, their mission is an exchange of worship. That's what we're doing here. That's what, when you go to work and you try to share the gospel, you, you are inviting that person, urging that person, demanding that that person exchange the worship of God from the creator, or from the creature to the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. That's what they're doing. But Bar Jesus wouldn't have any part of this. He saw Barnabas and Saul as a threat to his influence and his livelihood. So there will be opposition from the outside, as there is here. Why? Because do not forget, my friends, that we are in the middle of spiritual warfare. So when you go and try to urge someone to exchange the worship of God from the creature to the creator, you are engaging in a spiritual war that most of the time we ignore. But it's going on, whether you engage in it or or notice it at all, it still remains, it still rages. You can't just mess with people who Satan controls that have bought into his system without facing opposition. So they're facing opposition from the outside, from Bar Jesus, and opposition from the inside. From the inside. Verse 13 says, when they leave Paphos, the place where they are, John Mark leaves them and returns home. You notice that, right? So Bar-Jesus, Elymas is coming from the outside, and from the inside, there's a guy named John Mark, and this heat is too much for him because he is gone. Now, we don't know why John Mark does this. We don't know why he does this. Cyprus was a tropical island, as one commentator put it, so the ancient world regarded it like we look at Hawaii, or the Bahamas, so it would be easy how John Mark was like, ooh, let's do personal evangelism in the Bahamas. Wouldn't we want to suffer for God in the Bahamas? Wouldn't we want to suffer for Jesus on the big island in Hawaii? Wouldn't we want to do that? I'm not saying that's what John Mark did, but I mean, come on. He got a trip to Hawaii in this, in our own equivalent. So they go to Cyprus, And then, I don't know what John Mark was expecting, but, I mean, Peter got out of prison and had Bible studies at John Mark's house. Because, honestly, if if we think about this, missions has an idealized, romanticized view, doesn't it? Right? Like, when we think about missions, we think, wow, a real missionary is here. Somebody who's really gone to, to be somewhere exotic. And isn't that honorable? Right? And, and I want to do that. So there's a romanticized view of missions that maybe John Mark looks at, sees a lack of response. Hey, we've been here, and like the angel let Peter out of prison to come to my house, but he ain't let nobody do anything here. Nobody's doing anything here in Cyprus. That could have made him change his mind and turn back. Either way. 
John Mark turns back at this point. Later on, this will be a divisive issue between Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15. Paul refused to take John Mark, who's Barnabas' cousin. I am bringing your good-for-nothing cousin on a trip again because he left us in Hawaii. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it divided them at that point. That's what it did. And why do I even spend any time on John Mark here who seems more like a non-issue than an issue in this text? John Mark is someone who deserted the mission. John Mark, who was someone who didn't play his part in the spread of the gospel, and he turned tail and ran. So the opposition comes from the outside, and by Jesus, I mean, yeah, we're going to fight some cults, right? And then, but, but then on the inside, there's deserters. There are people who, who have these expectations and this romanticized view of, about being a Christian and being on Jesus' mission, and then things get hard, and things get rough, and it's not as fun as I thought it was going to be, and we're not even getting to go to the gift shops in this place. And he's gone. He's gone. So here's why I bring up John Mark in the middle of this mission. Because later on in the scriptures, John Mark gets restored. He comes back. I just read 2 Timothy today uh, in my Bible reading plan. And Paul tells Timothy, bring John Mark, for he is useful for ministry. He's useful for ministry. I read those words this morning. Like, I wish I was reading something this morning that had something to do with the sermon today. <laughs> Thought about that. There it is. John Mark, he's useful for ministry. Why, and what does that amount to a hill of beans or matter to you? Here's why it matters to you. Because you might not be on Jesus' mission. You might not be sending missionaries. You might not be going yourself. You might have be, went AWOL in your Christian obedience. You might have. You might have a ministry here at Farmdale and you don't do it. You might have deserted. Like my tail's there on Sunday mornings, but my heart's not there in the ministry. You might have deserted. But you know what? There's hope for John Mark. There's hope for you. There's hope for you. If you've deserted Christ's mission through this church, if you haven't been on mission like you should? Your heart doesn't burn for the three billion people? You just want to combo at Taco Bell after church and that's what your heart's burning for? Like, if that's you, there is hope for you to turn around. You can be useful for missions regardless the ones that you have deserted in the past. So John Mark is oh so important here in this passage. But nonetheless, he's hope for us. But right now, at where we're at in the book of Acts, he's, he's opposition for Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas. Here's how Saul and Barnabas, like Mark, fades away. But the external issue, here's what happens in verse 10. Uh, Paul, Saul addresses bar Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, you son of the devil... And that's a play on words, right? His name's Son of Salvation. He's like, no, you're the son of the other place. That's what it says there in verse 10. You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked straight, the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of God is upon you, and you will be blind and un unable to see for a time. So miraculously, Luke tells us here in this passage that immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by his hand. So once again, Satan was defeated. Bar Jesus was blinded. 
Sergius Paulus believes in the Lord Jesus. So if you're hard at work, serving Christ's church, carrying out his mission, not only will you face opposition from the outside, you'll get deserted from the inside, people will get off the bus, the bus still has to go, my friends. Why? Because Sergius Paulus, people like this, will love and trust in the Lord Jesus. So the gauging of our success cannot be whether or not people respond to it positively. It can't be that nobody opposed us. Nobody deserted us. It can't be, right? Somebody deserted me. Does that mean the, the bus stops? No, the bus still goes. Why? Because the gauge of our success is Christ being preached so that people may believe. Christ being preached or proclaimed, shared by you, so that people may believe. That is how we gauge success. Human response doesn't matter. Opposition doesn't matter. The gospel getting out is what matters for our success in Jesus' mission. He started in worship. Now Sergius Paulus believes and is a worshiper of Jesus. My friends, that's missions. That's what it is. That's what it is. So what about us? What about us? Do we know who we worship, how we worship, why we worship? Do we, know, do we worship ourselves? Are we not okay with others not worshiping? Are we not okay with that? See, Hudson Taylor met a Chinese businessman whose name was Ni, N-Y-I, if you're curious, F-Y-I. So he came to hear him preach. And at the conclusion of the sermon, Ni rose to his feet and he says, I have sought the truth as did my father before me without finding it. In Confucianism, Buddhism, Taoism, I found no rest, but I do find rest in what we've heard tonight. Henceforward, I am a believer in Jesus. So Hudson took Nhi onto the mission field with him in China. And in the middle of one of these trips, Nhi looks over at the now famous missionary and he says, just curious, how long have you all had the gospel over there in England? How long has the gospel been there? Hudson Taylor responds, he says, well, a couple hundred years. And Yi was blown away. He was flabbergasted. He said, 200 years? You've had the gospel for 200 years? Is it possible that you've known about Jesus for so long and just came over here to tell us about him? My father sought the truth for more than 20 years, and he died without finding it. Oh, why didn't you come sooner? Why didn't you come sooner? So my friends, how long have you known the gospel? How long? How long did you know what saves sinners while neglecting to give it to the sinners? How long have you known? Does it mean you're not a Christian? It does mean that you're not an obedient one. How long have you known the news and not shared it with somebody else? We need to go with this gospel. No doubt, he's calling some of us to foreign missions, to places that Christ has not been named, so that he may get the bride for which he has purchased from all the nations. That's, what he, that's his goal here. Some of us are being called to do so. Some of us, right? And I'm not talking about just giving money because here's, here's how some of us might be isolating ourselves from this cause. 
we give to the cooperative program. We give to the cooperative program. Therefore, we are obedient to this text. Now, I'm not saying we should dismantle the cooperative program or not give money to the cooperative program. But I am saying that's a good starting place for obedience. That's, good. that's a good place to start. So let me push us further, further beyond our cooperative program wall that we've put up for ourselves. How about we go ourselves? How about we raise up missionaries from this place? How about we get to know missionaries personally instead of just giving a dollar dump? How about we get involved personally? How about we get involved and put skin in the game ourselves for the sake of the souls of all the nations? So yes, should we give to missions? Absolutely. Should we make that a priority in our church and in our budget? Absolutely. But how can we know this gospel and feel no burden to share it ourselves? And how can we desire to follow the Lord Jesus and not want to personally get involved? So I say, if, if you're in this room and God is calling you to the mission field as a vocation, that is one thing that could be happening right now. Not only that, some of us need to get involved in temporary short-term trips. Now, the, our options have been few and far between with the, the COVID world that we, have that we now live in, right? The world's changed. However, that doesn't change the salvation of souls and their needs, right? They're still over there. They're still over there across the state in, Jer in Jerusalem and Judea. They're still over there in Samaria. They're still over there in the othermost parts of the earth. They're still, still there. Hell is still their destiny. And the obstacle between them and their hell destiny is an unknown amount of breaths, an undetermined amount of time between them and roasting alive forever in hell. So we can't anymore be okay with just giving some money and going about our day. I would like, based on this text, for ourselves to personally get involved. Not just to send them money, but to know their name. To know their name. Because I have friends in uh, Southeast Asia who have kids in closed countries. And we give money through the cooperative program that eventually gets to them. It does. But you know what would mean a little bit more than that? Is if we kept doing that and we wrote cards for their kids who are struggling to adjust in a place that their parents took them to, that don't speak their language, that aren't in their culture. A little note from home would mean a lot to somebody like that. So I say we should both send, we should go, and not disobey. That's what we should do. And why would we do this? Why would we do this? Because eternal destinies are at stake. Are at stake. 
So if you're not a Christian here, why, why is it just like missions? What is that? Going, sending people? Is it like the Peace Corps? No, no. See, what it is, is it is a sending of a message through an individual. Man, this message must be so important if we are willing to risk our lives, pour our lives, and end our lives for that message getting to the lives of other people. Man, that must be important. Oh yeah, it's really important. Because there is a God who spoke everything into existence. Just with his words, I'm saying he is that powerful, that he speaks in galaxies, they're there. Trees, they're there. People exist on this rock that he spoke. But he made man in his image. The image of God he created, the male and female. And he created man in his own image. He made him to resemble him. That's what he did. But instead of resembling God, being like God, that creature... Us wanted to be God himself. You see this? Second Timothy that I read this morning, he said, in the last days, there will be difficulties. Why? People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of themselves. See, we did not love God. We love ourselves. We love ourselves. And we want to run our own universe. We want to micromanage all of the parts of our own life and be in charge of everything that happens to us, for us, and by us. Sounds good, doesn't it? The Bible calls that sin in rebellion against God, that you're in charge. You're not in charge. There is a God who is in charge, and he is not you. And to try to take his place, to rival him, the Bible calls that sin. And it separates you from God. You're no longer in his family when you're trying to take his place. And the truth is that we have all tried to take his place. The greatest mission trip in the history of the world happened. God became a man. In the person of the Lord Jesus. To walk among us. In the fullness of time. Born under the law. He came to redeem those. That were under the law. And now there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So that means that he is the only one that can go to God for us because he is God come to us. And that's what we celebrate in Advent. God comes to us in the person of the Lord Jesus. God has come and he walked among us. He lived the perfect life that we should have lived and he died on the cross for our sins and he rose on the third day. That is what he's done. So now today he is calling you to turn from your sin and trust solely in him. That's the message that we get out. You need to respond today in your obedience, repenting from, not going, not sending. And ask God in these moments, in this response, ask God, do you want me to go? What role do you want me to play in the sending of your gospel to the nations? Ask God that question in prayer during this time. And then come get me and we'll talk about what to do next. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your son who is the eternal missionary, God, King, God, man. Perfect sacrifice and perfect lamb. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, raise up missionaries for the sake of the nations among this church that we might be people personally involved in the salvation of the souls of men in places where they do not know Christ. Save people among us. In Jesus' name, amen.